good to be back here this Sunday with you. Uh, we're in the second installment of our new sermon series that I've called Soundtrack of the Soul. Uh, it's, a, it's a small section of the Old Testament Psalms that we're going to be working through this summer. Uh, they're called the Songs of Ascent. So uh, if you're not all that familiar with the Bible uh, and you uh, have a hard time finding books in the Bible, chances are good if you just flip it open to the middle, you're going to land in Psalms somewhere. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can open that up. If you don't, uh, that's okay. We'll have the words projected for you. Uh, we always do like to give away free Bibles, though. So there's Bibles on the back table as you exit out the space here. Uh, we would love to, to give you a Bible if you don't have one uh, today. But today we're going to be looking at um, Psalm 121. Uh, I had mentioned that there's this section in this Old Testament, uh, these Old Testament songs called the Songs of Ascent. And um, I'm, having, I'm having a lot of fun because I decided that I would title all of the sermons in this series after um, modern or semi-modern songs. Um, and so this week I, I caught myself, I'm like 30 minutes deep in YouTube, like looking at all these old songs and like just loving every minute of it. I had to kind of pull myself away. Uh, but this week I've titled Psalm 121, Help. Who knows the, the artist? Thank you. Fantastic. We're two for two last week. Ed Gonzalez nailed that. Thank you, Ed, for for participating last week. All right, this week we're going to look at Psalm 121. Uh, just uh, some kind of housekeeping things before we look at the text. There's a there's some unique things about this uh, this particular song, and and one of them is found in the ascription. Uh, the ascription is just those block letters at the very beginning of the psalm, which kind of usually it'll identify if there was an author. It'll give the author. It'll also give some setting if there was a certain context. This one in our English Bibles typically says what most of them say in this section, and it says a song of ascent. Um, in the Hebrew, really, there's actually a little bit of a, a participle change there, and it actually could also be translated a song for ascent. And I don't want to make a huge deal out of it, but I think there's some significance in that little prepositional change in that this is a song for the journey. If you remember last week, if you were here last week with us, these were songs that were sung by the pilgrims, uh, the Israelites that were journeying to Jerusalem uh, three times a year for their annual religious festivals. And this one particularly was one for the journey. Uh, it's, it's found in a really a dialogue fashion. The first two verses ask a question, where does our help come from? And then the following verses answer that question almost in first person, singular, asking the question, second person, answering the question. So before we read the text, as we are reading the passage, I want you to think about this question. I want you to ask yourself, how much do you think that God thinks about you? How much in your everyday, ordinary, mundane rhythms and ordinary things that you do in your life, do you think that God thinks about you? Not us, not the world, not, not the church at large, you. Let's read one, uh, Psalm 121 as we think about that this morning. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of it. Father, we come to you again asking that the meditations that fill our hearts as we think about your word today and the the words that fill this man's mouth today would be pleasing in your sight, Lord. You are our rock and you are our redeemer and we need your help today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I am, I'm a technology guy, I am. I'm not like an early adapter where I've got to have the newest and the best all the time, but I love technology. And uh, a while back, it's, I don't know when, a while back ago, we as humanity came up with this great idea of the automated automated phone system. Uh, When you call in for customer service, right, and you start dealing with the machines, Oh, the machines. Um, I had a call this week. I'm, I'm dealing with direct TV. Uh, you know, it's that time of the year when the bill all of a sudden goes astronomical for no reason. So you got to, like, call them and act desperate so they lower it. Well, um, you know, I'm trying my best to get help from, from these people. And I'm working my way through the machine system. And I hope I'm not the only one that has this experience, but these, these machine systems now, the, the automation portion of it, it used to just be touch tone, right? You would just have to touch the number that you wanted. Well, now they can actually hear and understand us. They've taken it to a whole other level, and this, this is it's really killing me inside because I live in a very noisy home, um, and you can't get through an automated system in a noisy home. Uh, the dog barks, and all of a sudden, you're in the billing department, right? You know, the, the boys are running up and down the stairs having fun, and all of a sudden, you're canceling your whole setup. And so here I am navigating through this automated system, just trying to get some help, and I'm, and I'm getting help in all the wrong places. I finally just gave up. I, I, you know, I hung up, I gave up, and I, and I did it from a quiet place at another time. Um, but, but I was looking for help. And I was getting it in all the wrong places. Uh, Today's psalm is asking the big question, where where do we get help from? And, uh, you know, these pilgrims, these Hebrew Israelites that were journeying towards Jerusalem would have been ascending on the, the, the path, and they would have seen the hills of Palestine. They would have seen the hills surrounding Jerusalem, and they would have said, does our help come from these hills? Now, in order to understand a little bit, you kind of have to have, we have to have a little bit of background there. And the background of what's going on in Palestine and in those hills was there was a lot of help, quote-unquote help, offered to people in these hills. Most of the help was religious help. And so these were the, where the, the pagan shrines and temples and statues were oftentimes set up. This was where the, the milieu of religious culture really was, was thriving. And so where, whatever area or component or you know, region of your life you needed help with, there was somebody there to offer you help. But it was, a, it was a false source of help. It wasn't true help. 
See, today there are many modern day mountains that promise us help too. Where do we lift our eyes up? What are the hills, what are the mountains in our lives that offer us help? Let me help you think of some of those. Some of the things in our lives that offer us help are things like money. The more money we have, the more secure we are. You know, the more resources that we can pile up or reserve for ourselves, the, the, the better the, the, the net, the safety net of our lives is, as it were. That's, that's something that offers you help. Or maybe, maybe it's not just money. Maybe it's the positioning and the power and the status component. Like if you make the right lateral career movements or position yourself in a way that you can have the reputation and the status in the community that you've always wanted, that offers you help. It offers you the ability to move and network in ways that you hadn't before. Or maybe it's just in education, the letters after your name. Maybe it's in intellect or wisdom or knowledge. You know, all of these things offer us help. Or maybe it's in your marriage, if you have a healthy marriage with well-behaved children, that somehow you're doing things right. You know, this is a source of help. And of course, there's always the religious people that think that rules and behavior-based modifications in your life will, will really put you on that right track to goodness. So the question we're asking of this text today that the psalmist is asking, and I want you to ask in your own life, is where are you looking for help in your life? Where, where does your help come from? Here's the answer, if I could put it in a catchy, tweetable type of way that the psalmist gives us. He tells us that our help comes from a God who never sleeps and always keeps. Okay, So there's your tweetable moment of the year for me. That's about as good as it gets for me. So our help comes from a God who never sleeps and always keeps. And those are the two things I want us to draw out of the text today. I want us to look at the God who never sleeps in verses 3 and 4, if you're a note taker. And I want us secondly to look at the God who always keeps in verses 5 through 8. So let's, let's consider the God who never sleeps in verses 3 through 4. Now, remember, the, the setting of this song is the, of utmost importance to us to understand what it originally meant when it was written and sung. And so for us to apply it to our lives, we must first understand that. And this was written in the midst of traveling. And so these people are traveling, and there are dangers all around them. You know, I've mentioned this last week, and I'll probably mention it in future weeks, but traveling then is not like traveling is now. Uh, traveling dangers then primarily had to do with the terrain that they were on. And so, you know, rocks and hills and cliffs and those types of dangers and, and wild beasts and animals and uh, thieves at night that would, that would rob them. And certainly the weather that they didn't have much protection from. All of these were the, the components that were surrounding the, the dangers in their traveling context. And in verse 3... The Lord promises that he, the Lord, will not let your foot be moved. He promises that there is something firm and certain and secure and foundational about his care for you. So the question that, that I'm asking that I think should come to our mind is, is, is God promising that nothing bad will ever happen to the believer? You know, is the promise here 
that will never that the that the believer that's traveling will never sprain their ankle or you know will never be sunburned or will never be robbed and i don't think that that's i don't think that's what the psalmist is after because we know that the way scripture describes the journey of the believer is is the way of suffering so actually suffering is the ordinary experience of the believer and so Immediately, we could answer that question, no. You know, God is not promising that nothing bad will ever happen to the believer. That's not what the psalm's saying. But what he is saying is that God will ensure and secure the way to him fully and finally. And so, so we might go in there limping, <laughs> to be sure, but he will bring us home. He will bring us through the journey as is what the psalm is, is declaring. It's telling us that nothing will ever overpower the believer who belongs to him. So how, how can we know that? How can we know that? Like, how, can we, how can we be sure of that? Well, the psalmist gives us more to build on to our understanding of this when he talks at the end of verse 3 and verse 4 about how God never sleeps and he does not slumber that God's watchful care over his children is constant and it's attentive. I'm going to dwell on that in a moment. But before, before we do that, um, I think by and large, the way that maybe you, but certainly the world generally who thinks that God exists, that he's real, some sort of vague at least understanding of the God who made the heavens and the earth, we primarily believe that God is like a watchmaker. And uh, if, you're, if you're astute theologically, uh, you'll know kind of there, there is this argument for the existence of God called the watchmaker. And so the watchmaker, is a, it's this argument for the existence of God that says basically because we see in the world that there is some implication of a design, that necessarily means there's a designer. Okay, so it's, it's kind of this, this argument for the existence of God. But we take that analogy too far, and here's what I think most of the world thinks, is most of the world thinks that out there and in here in our lives pretty much operates like a watch. In other words, God made the watch. Sure, God exists. He created it, but he just kind of set it, and it does its own thing. And so we, as people, experience the ordinary things like suns rising and suns setting, like seasons coming and going, like the ordinary and natural consequences of the things that we do in our lives. And we essentially say, God is real, but he's not really here. And I think what this psalm is doing is it's turning that kind of thinking on its head. Because what the psalm is telling us, that God neither sleeps nor slumbers, is that he is actively caring for every single component of his created order all of the time, like on the macro level. So atoms and molecules and things beyond my understanding, universes and galaxies and stars and, and planets and, and all of these systems that we've discovered, all of those things are upheld by the active, attentive care of God Almighty, the macro level. But even more than that, on the very micro level of your life, your car starting or not, as ours did this week, you know, your, your 
clocks working, your uh, everything that we do in every minuscule, minute, mundane little thing of our lives is actively done by the care of God. And if he were not doing that, if he were for a moment to slumber or to sleep or to turn his head away, everything would crumble. Everything. See, you need to know this, that God's watchful care of you extends to even the most boring parts of your life. Right? I mean, I think there's some mistaken thinking. A lot of my preaching really is correcting bad thinking. <laughs> I, uh, I've done it a couple times already today, but I think there's, there's a lot of bad thinking about God. And so part of my job is to undo some bad thinking. Here's some bad thinking I think that you and I do frequently. I think that we believe that God, his care for us, it, it waxes and wanes. In other words, it, it, it ebbs and flows. It goes up and down based on where we are at spiritually based on the, really the temperature of our spiritual life. And so if we're doing good, then God's act of care is all over the place. And we're praising God for it, and we're seeing his hand everywhere, and we're telling everybody how God orchestrated this and how it worked together, and, and you're really just seeing things clearly. But when things are not going well, we think that somehow God has removed his presence. That somehow God has backed away, somehow he's turned his eye because of something that we've done. Have you ever wondered, I wonder if this is just something that that preachers with too much time on their hands think about. um, But have you ever wondered why we sleep? (laughs) Like, why sleep? Sleep was not a condition of the fall. Sleep was pre-sin. And so sleep was something that God had designed into our makeup as humanity before things went bad. So so sleep is not because our bodies are fallen and they need sleep. I think, this is mere speculation, we can ask the Lord when when we get with him, but I think we sleep because it is the ultimate act of trust. Like to go unconscious in the world around you, and to trust that everything's going to be all right when you wake back up. That's a pretty big act of trust. Like, I don't want you to be scared when you go to bed tonight, but, but in reality, with, with the watching world around you still potentially active, you're going unconscious, and you're essentially saying, God, I trust that you'll care for me. I trust that you are going to guard me. And he's not promising that nothing will ever go bad, that your house won't get robbed or worse, but you're trusting God. I love the way the scriptures talk about the way God cares for us. And one of those pictures I think is coming when my daughter arrives. We have a baby daughter that's due here in T minus six weeks. I have a hard time keeping up with the weeks. But we have a daughter arriving, and I am a baby guy. I'm sorry. I love babies. I'll hold your baby. I'll hold strangers' babies. I like babies. And one of my favorite things that I got to do with our boys was just to watch them sleep. Like, you know, you know babies are sweet when they sleep, right? It's like the sweetest moment is when they're just sleeping. And I cannot wait to just watch my daughter sleep. Do you know that the Bible talks about God like that over us? 
Uh, Listen to this kind of obscure passage. I love this passage in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Zephaniah, it's in there. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with singing. The, the, the imagery that comes to my mind in that passage is God watching us sleep and singing lullabies over us. Like his care is attentive in the most mundane, boring things like sleeping over us. Like, have you ever imagined that God would care about you that much? See, the psalmist knows that God never sleeps, but, but more so than, than that, he also assures us that God always keeps us. So let's, let's look at how God always keeps us in uh, verses 5 through 8. Uh, again, I don't know if this week I just had too much time on my hands, but I, I get curious about random things like why we sleep. But I also get curious about, I'm, I'm kind of in a little food kick right now. My wife's into some gut health stuff. And so I was asking myself this week um, how the food on our shelves stays good for so long. Um, like, you know, I don't know. Maybe I should have asked myself this a long time ago. But, but, it, but, but how does our food stay good for so long? And, and most of you probably already know this, and I discovered this because of the, the onset of the Internet, is preservatives, right? Preservatives is what keeps our food good and stable for a long time. And, and just knowing that answer wasn't enough, so I dove a little deeper, and I found a video describing to me, really in, in layman's terms, how preservatives works. And I love it, and I'm not going to bore you to death with it. But here's the, the nuts and bolts of it, okay? I don't even, you probably don't care at all, but I'm pretty, pretty fascinated by it. So there are two things that cause our food to spoil. They are called microbes and then oxidation. So microbes and oxidation is the things that what we would know as mold and fungi grow on, they feed on. And so when we put preservatives in our food, it keeps from microbes and oxidation from growing so that the fungi can grow. You kind of get how that works. But without those preservatives, that's when, you know, mold grows. That's when the food spoils. And so the only way for food to keep good for long amounts of time is through the use of preservatives. My mind was blown because I think That's actually what the passage is teaching us, is that unless God preserves us, we too will spoil. We will not endure. Our shelf life is very minimal, very minimal. And so the text, if you noticed when I was reading, it's this repetitious language of keeping, Right? It's used six times, this language of keeping. And so, really, God is described as the keeper, or in my analogy, as the preservative of his people. That God is the one who preserves his people. He keeps them. Uh, in our confession of faith this morning, from the Shorter Catechism, if you notice the language that they use there, is that God governs and preserves his people. Well, what does he keep us from? Well, the text tells us he keeps us from a few things. The first thing that he keeps us from is, in verses 5 to 6, is from harm. I'll just generalize it, harm. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. 
The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Now, again, traveling. So traveling, exposure to the elements is the big fear. So exposure to the sun, heat, sunstroke, exhaustion, those types of things. The psalmist describes God as the shade, in other words, the refuge, the covering on his right hand, which is just a symbolic way of saying the protective hand of God. He's right-handed, I think. (laughs) So it says that he's the keeper. He's the shade on your right hand. The sun won't strike you. And the moon by night. Now, the moon by night, that's actually where we get our term lunacy. If you ever call someone a lunatic, it's, it's this mental madness by the moon. Now, these people understood darkness like we don't. They had the moon to expose them to light, but they didn't have any city lights or any technology that we have. And so darkness will drive you mad. And the Lord's promising them from harm on the journey, from harm of the weather, from harm of bandits or thieves. Who, who calls them bandits anymore? Thieves. Um, you know, people who would rob you. Bandits. Where did I get that from? Um, I read too many books. Um, And so the Lord is protecting his people from harm on the journey. Verse 7 says that the Lord is keeping your life from evil. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now, one more moment of deconstructing our misthoughts about God. Bear with me. I think that a lot of us believe that God is in some cosmic arm wrestling match with the devil. Okay? As though God were in heaven dueling it out with Satan or chess matching it, if you want like a little bit of a less aggressive approach. But as though they are up there co-equals fighting out for our lives. Right? And so like we think that they're up there and oh, we got to give God a little bit. Oh, he's going to he's going to take him. It's a just, a just a depressing misunderstanding that God would have to fight against his own creature. Like, Satan is a very real, very powerful, very authoritative being, but he's been made by God, and he is under God's thumb. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that Jesus, when he came, that he bound this man. That he bound him and put him on a leash. Though he is authoritative, though he is roaming this earth and he longs to devour God's people, the Lord's power is absolutely unrivaled. He is not in a cosmic arm wrestling match with Satan. I love, there's this hymn, I tried to get Tito to play it this week. He wasn't having it because it was like Saturday night at 9 when I tried to get him to do it. Um, But there's this hymn that hopefully will be showing up in our repertoire soon. It's called A Mighty Fortress. Some of you are familiar with it. And there's these lyrics in A Mighty Fortress. Let me just read them to you. Talking about this relationship between God and evil and the cosmic authorities that be. It says this, and I, it's just the description is, is apt. It says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. 
one authoritative word of Almighty God will undo that one. See, the psalm is promising us protection from evil getting inside of us and overcoming us from undoing us. The psalm is not promising us that we won't be a ship in an ocean filled with evil, but what it is promising us is that the waves of evil will not crash over our lives and sink us down, that there is nothing that can take us out of the hand and the care of this one. The third thing in verse 8 that the Lord keeps us from, he keeps our coming and he keeps our going. In other words, from from beginning to end, the Lord is keeping you. From from beginning to end, on the micro level, again, small things. So from the moment those little kids' pitter-pattering feet hit the ground and begin the demands until they end them at the end of the night or long into the night. From the moment that you leave your door to go park on Paseo for a little while to the moment that you exit your work building to come back and park on Paseo and come home for a little while. From from the moment you open your inbox, which is drowning you with demands that you don't think you can keep up with, to the moment that you close that inbox and maybe you have not met all those demands. From the small to the big, from the beginning to the end, God is keeping you on the micro level, but even more so than that, on the macro level. As one of the songs that we sing says frequently, from life's first cry to life's final breath, Jesus commands our destiny. That's what the psalm's teaching us. It's teaching us that the Lord preserves us like that. From beginning to end, he's watching us. He's careful over us. He's giving us the help that we need. Now, This psalm sounds wonderful on the surface, it does. But let's be honest. Our lives don't always reflect that kind of care. We look around and we ask, where are you, God? How could this happen to me? And the question we have to ask is, how can we know for sure that this psalm is true? Like, other than just taking it on face value and you know, God's word says it, so I believe it, which is, which is, you know, altruistic and fine. But the reality is, how can we know that this is true? And the only way we can know this is true is by lifting our eyes to another hill. See, there's another hill where a man displayed what love does best where love obeys to the point of even giving all of itself away. See, there's another hill where somebody else endured what we deserve most, judgment and death and suffering. There's another hill where somebody else conquered what we could not conquer, death. There's another hill where somebody earned what we need most, acceptance by God, and he did that by facing what we fear most, rejection by God. See, if you need help on this journey of faith that you and I are on together, and you want to know with absolute certainty 
that this path to God has been paved fully for you to arrive there, you need to look no further than the hill of Calvary where Jesus paid it all. So do you need help? Lift your eyes to that hill. Do you struggle to believe that God actually cares about you? That he would actually cast thoughts towards you? Look no further than the hill. Do you doubt that God is concerned about you? Look no further than that hill. Do you fear that God's judgment might still someday fall on you? Like like as though someday he's just going to finally drop the final shoe on you. You've screwed up too many times. Look no further than that hill. Are you uncertain about the height and the depth and the width and the length that the love of God in Christ for sinners is shown to you? Look no further than that hill. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, sometimes our our worlds spin out of control because we don't understand everything. Lord, we don't see a reason why things happen. We don't understand why evil fills our world and why sin fills our hearts and how all these things, like your word tells us, can work together for our good. But Lord, Psalm 121 gives us hope that there is help for us. And so Lord, I pray that you would seal this psalm into our hearts so that we would know that when we lift our eyes to the hills, namely to the hill of your son on Calvary, that we would know that there is help found there. So Lord, help us to see how you constantly care for us, how you never sleep nor slumber, and how you actively preserve and care and govern all of our affairs. Lord, would you help us to believe even more today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.